Thank you, Linda. Well, I want to thank you for coming today. I believe you made a wise decision. I believe the rest of your week is going to be blessed. Do you, do you believe that? I want to welcome all of you also joining us online. Thank you for listening or watching that whenever you're watching live or later on. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you did bring your Bible, to Psalm 139. And if you didn't, I've got it there in your notes that you should have received on the way in. There are Bibles in front of you if you'd like to go ahead and pull one out as well. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version today. And I'm going to minister a message today that I've titled The Gift of Life. How many of you are happy to be alive? Would you just take a really deep breath in and exhale that? I do this often, several times throughout a year, to remind us that we don't control that. We think we do, but it's God who gives us breath, and that is a gift. It is a gift we receive every single day we, we live. And I want you to hear King David as he writes in Psalm 139 about God and about us as he's made us. Follow along. Psalm 139.1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book, and in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Bow with me. Father, we thank you for this time together today. We pray in these next few moments that you'd speak to our heart, you'd change our lives, and that we'd be drawn nearer to you when we leave than when we came. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. Bob Hope was one of the greatest comedians of the last century. And as he was getting along in years, he once commented that he had been reading, and he was astonished to discover that today my heartbeat 
over 103,000 times. My blood traveled 168 million miles. I breathed 23,400 times. I inhaled 438 cubic feet of air. I ate three pounds of food and drank 2.9 pounds of liquid. I perspired 1.43 pints. I gave off 85.3 degrees of heat. I generated 450 tons of energy. I spoke 4,800 words, moved 750 major muscles, and I exercised 7 million brain cells. It's no wonder I'm tired all the time. St. Augustine once said, people travel to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without ever wondering. St. Augustine was right. Most of us don't take the time to remember we are the crown of His creation. We don't realize how intricate and how wondrous and marvelous God really made us to be. And I'm amazed at the uniqueness and the intricateness of our bodies. For example, in a square inch of your skin, you will find 20 blood vessels, 65 muscles, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, 13 for cold, 160 for pressure. You'll, have, you'll find 650 sweat glands within that same amount of area, 1,300 nerve endings, and 19,500,000 cells in a square inch of your skin. Now, the skin serves several purposes, including providing a protective shield against bacteria and viruses and the absorbing of bumps and bruises that might otherwise damage your bones and internal organs. And in that inch of skin, your sweat glands in your body do double duty helping to eliminate wastes and cool your body. That's just a square inch of your skin. Let me go to our brain. It weighs about three pounds, but it stores 100 trillion bits of information over the course of 70 years. For all you computer geeks, that's 12.5 terabytes. That storage capacity is roughly equal to 500,000 sets of Encyclopedia Britannicas, which if you stack them would stretch out over 442 miles. Your brain does all of that, and it uses less than a 100-watt bulb. My old computer at home needs 750-watt CPU. Your brain is serviced by about 45 miles of nerves that send impulses through your body as rapidly as 325 miles an hour. Your nervous system is so sensitive that you are able to feel on your fingertips or on your face a pressure that will depress your skin a mere .00004, which is four hundred thousandths of an inch. And that weighs roughly a bee's wing falling on your cheek. Then there's your ears. A piano has 88 keys, but each of your ears has a keyboard with 1,500. They're also so finely tuned that if you have very good hearing, you can actually hear the blood running through your veins. 
Your eyes are capable of seeing a small candle flame from 30 miles away on a clear, dark night. A, and, and they can distinguish among more than 300,000 different color variations. Crayola crayons can't get there. I remember as a little kid, I always wanted a 64-pack of Crayola crayons. I got the 24-pack. Amen. In fact, I saw them on sale the other day at Fry's, Super, or at Fry's store, and I bought me a pack of 64 they don't seem to be packaged quite as well as they did. And I haven't even tried to use that little. I wanted the pencil sharpener. That's what I really want. I wanted that sharpener. Your nose can smell one drop of perfume even diffused through a three-room apartment. Why am I saying all this? Because David said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I want everybody to look at me this way. You are wonderful. You are important. You are valuable. Now, I'm sure David may not have understood or realized all those facts that I've just uh, related to you about our bodies when he penned that psalm. Maybe he was out watching the sheep, and, and he happened to glance down at his hands and notice how intriguing they were. I don't know. But I do know that there was something about his body that caused him not only to remark on how fearfully and wondrously made he was, but he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was, hear this, woven together. You weren't thrown together. You were woven together in the depths of the earth. David was, he's so impressed with the wonder of God's gift of life that he spoke of it as being woven together. And here he was using the imagery of a craftsman who skillfully weaves a beautiful, colorful tapestry. What David is basically saying is this. It didn't just happen. Amen, King David. It wasn't osmosis. It wasn't some amoeba flopping out of an ocean. It wasn't some big bang. It didn't just happen. I am not an accident. You are not an accident. You have value. You have worth. Say that. I am not an accident. I have value. I have worth. And now David comes to his conclusion because he first focuses on God. Now, look, let's, look, let's look again at the first few verses of Psalm 139, 1 through 6. Let's pop those back up. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. Now I'm reading from a different translation. You are familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind, and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I can just hear God saying, it's okay, David. I'm going to give you a son that can figure it out. Solomon will figure it out. I'll give him the wisdom. Now, I just got this $20 bill out of the ATM this week. And if I would offer it to you today, would you all take it? Anybody? Would you like that? Okay. What if I tore it? <laughs> would you still take it? Okay. What, what if I crumpled it up? And I'm not going to do it because I like nice, neat, you know, bills. But what if I crumpled it up? Would, would you? Anybody in the house, you still take it all balled up? Okay. What if I threw it on the ground and I just stomped on it and just really messed it up in the ground? Would you? Okay. You'd still take it? Why would you still take it? 
Just so you know, I'm not giving it to you. I just wanted to know if you'd still take it. Well, the reason why, even though it's torn, it's crumpled, it's dirty now, a dirty piece of paper, and all messed up, it looks terrible, it's because it's still valuable. It'll still spend. It'll still do the job it was created to do. And the question I have for you, though, is this. Why is it valuable? It's just a piece of paper. You know, is, is the paper that this $20 bill is written on, is it worth 20 Do you think that paper is worth $20? Okay. Is the ink on this bill worth that much money? No. Then why is this piece of paper worth $20? In fact, I can get one. I can get one pulled out. It just it takes a little longer to earn it, right? You can get another one that will have a 100 on it. And it'll feel the same way. It'll look very similar. It's just going to have a little different number. It, but it's worth more. Why is that? Would you all? I know this is elementary, Watson, but why, 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 why is it worth $20? It's because the United States government who created it, who created it, says it's worth 20 And that is the only reason it's worth $20. Now, I have been told that it, if I have a powerful enough computer and I have efficient enough printer that I could print off an almost identical $20 bill. So if I were to get a hold of paper like this, which the government uses, and I could get ink like they use, and I ran off my $20 bills and then tried to use them in some of the local businesses, what would happen? They'd arrest me and haul me off to jail. Why would they do that? Counterfeit. And every time man tries to improve on God's original, it's a counterfeit. I could use the same kind of paper, I could use the same kind of ink as the government even uses, but my paper would have no value. Now, I want to apply this to our lives today. Here's where the application sets in. If God did not create us, if he did not create you and me, or if you believe that God did not create us, then you have a problem. Because if God did not create us, or we didn't believe he did, we have no reason to believe that we have any greater value than any other living creature. Whether it's the smallest insect or the most disgusting rat in the sewer, I'm going to ask you a question. Raise your hands. How many have ever stomped on a spider? How many have ever caught a rat, a mouse, a snake? How many have ever eaten a hamburger, a chicken, for those of you that don't like beef, venison, elk, moose, whatever? If you've eaten monkey, I don't want to know. Whether it's that smallest insect or whatever. There's no law against killing insects. 
but there's a law against killing humans. In America, our society has progressively removed God from its laws and morals, which we're seeing the problems that come out of that. Amen? God and His standards, if you, if you continuously challenge it by humanistic standards and evolutionary teaching, if you say Jesus is not God, if you say He did not come to this world as a baby, you've got a problem. Right now, it's against the law in the United States to kill a baby eagle or to damage its egg. But what about a human baby? You see, what I'm talking about is I remember back in high school, we kind of unwittingly played a game, a mind game in class, and it was based on this particular concept. We were given a scenario of a post-nuclear war. The world's been destroyed by a nuclear holocaust, and you are one of ten people who have holed up in a bomb shelter, and you have survived that war. Now, there was not going to be enough food for more than five of the ten people to be able to survive until they could raise crops to eat. So only five people are only going to be allowed to be part of the chosen few that will be allowed to live. And you have to decide who will live and who will die. You're given the occupations of these ten people. You have a doctor, you have a policeman, you have a, a woman of childbearing age and her son, and it, on and on it went, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the goal of this game was supposedly to get the student to reveal how valuable they thought each person would be in the struggle of survival that would follow. But the underlying concept of that exercise was this. A person's value is based upon their usefulness. If they weren't useful, they weren't valuable. Can I tell you God condemns that kind of thinking? Because to God, all, uh, all mankind has value. I remember the little song I sang. This is one of the first songs I ever remembered learning as a little boy was Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why is that? Because we're, we're not of a white race or a black race or a red race or a yellow race or a brown race. We are a part of the human race regardless of skin color. And we all came from Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, I don't have this on your outline, but I do have it up here behind me. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then you progress to Genesis chapter 2, which I, I really encourage you this next year, get into Genesis because it is the basis of everything. 
in Scripture. Genesis 2-7 declares, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And if you would fast forward in the book of John in the New Testament, you will find that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And everything that came into being came into being through him. So guess who drew in the ground? The Son of God. The Word of God. The Word of God that became flesh. The Word of God who said, I don't have to stay in heaven. The Word of God who says, I empty myself of my right to live, act, and be as the Son of God. And I'm going to become a baby. I'm going to become innocent. I'm going to live life just like men are living it. I want to find out. I want to live it the way they live it. I want to go through what they go through just like Paul Harvey was talking about the birds and the man. And that's what he did. He breathed in, the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Breathe it in again. That breath of life. And the man became a living soul. And you know what, church? It all, what you just got, what you just experienced, is what God blew into Adam. And it's been continuing ever since. Hasn't stopped. Until that last breath. And then it goes. And when it goes that, you want to know where you're going to go. For that reason, God values all people especially people that the world would overlook, like shepherds. You know, shepherds were on the bottom rung of the ladder of society. They were what some people would call, they were the low life. Guess who God showed up to? The ones everybody else overlooked. In fact, he threw a party with them. He thought it was so important, he just brought his angels along, his choir. Amen? Amen. In Exodus chapter 22, God makes his attitude abundantly clear. Watch this in verses 22 through 24 when he says, Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Now buckle your belt because this is going to get just a little strong. Are you ready for it? It's kind of like putting horseradish, really uh, strong horseradish on a piece of ham. Are you ready? I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Is that in the Bible? Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. How many think, man, God, you're serious about this, aren't you? How you treat a widow and how you treat an orphan is very important to God. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, we even have it in the New Testament. Uh, Here's the brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 1, verse 27. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, you see, to God... All human life has value. Is anybody getting anything out of this? And that's especially true of you and me 
who belong to Jesus Christ. Our lives are a gift from God. And only you have your kind of abilities. If there's nothing under the Christmas tree this year for you, your life is your gift. Our lives are a gift He gives to us, and it's a gift He wants us to give Him. That's really what we do when we accept Him as our Lord. When we accept the little baby who died on the cross and rose again as our Lord and Savior and to ask Him to forgive us of our sin. There's no one else that has your abilities. There's no one else that quite has all your skills. There's no one else who has the potential that you have because God put it in you. Amen? Now, there are those who would say, yeah, I mean, I understand this idea. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My body's a biological wonder, and God created me. But you know, kind of like Eeyore, I just don't feel so valuable. Maybe that's you in the room or watching, listening. I don't feel so valuable. Maybe you've been told you're not valuable. Maybe you've been treated like you're not valuable. Some people say, I'm just, I'm too old now. Some would say, I'm too poor. Others would say, I'm not smart enough. Pastor, you just don't understand, I'm not, I, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not talented enough. I can't talk. I can't speak. I'm not, well, you fill in the blank. I don't have the gifts or the abilities or the skills that are going to make a great difference. I feel, I feel shortchanged. Don't raise your hands. How many of you ever felt shortchanged? I understand that kind of thinking. I mean, some of us we are old. Some are weak. Some are intellectually challenged. But listen, that thinking fails to take into account that our value doesn't depend on our strengths. Our value depends on our Creator Our worth is increased in direct relation to how much we allow God to use us. God says when he wants something done, this is what he says. This has been for the beginning of the assemblies of God. This has been the verse chosen. For years we don't get the Pentecostal evangel anymore. But it's right there on the front. Remember that? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty, or the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, in other words, not by what you do, not by power, not because you're, an, uh, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger of, you know what, Samson, I, I just, I, uh, just reminds me of it. I, I think sometimes our storybooks, you know, we've gotten it messed up. We always put Samson in big muscles. No, nah, I think he was like me. I think he looked a lot like David Drew. I don't think he was big. I don't think he was powerful. And the reason why I say that is because the Philistines were on Delilah to figure it out. They're like, find out. How is he doing this? I think think they saw this little dude pull down two gates that it took 120 men to just set one up. So it took 240 men to take down the very thing this one guy is carrying down the mountain. Not by might. Not by power. Not by muscles. Not by mentality, not by intellectuality, not by degrees, bachelors, masters, doctors. By my spirit, 
You put his spirit on something lowly, and that's all you need. Moses said, I can't talk. God said, that's not why I'm calling you. I want to use you. And throughout Scripture, when God wanted something done, he chose, the Bible says, the foolish things of the world. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 28. The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that one may boast before him. And I remember in school, uh, kids who would get made fun of are the ones I would go to. They became my friends. The people, the people, the lowly people, the people that, they, they, they weren't the popular people. But the world is drawn to pizzazz and, and finesse. And, but God uses the lowly things, the foolish things to shame the wise. I'm about to close. Since we're going into Christmas, have you ever bought a gift for a child on Christmas and watched them as they unwrap it? We just did this with our grandkids a couple days ago. Especially the babies, the little ones that, you know, they could care less about what it was you gave them. And they unwrap it. They open the box, and there's this, this great toy. I mean, we, we got this great, it was like a little... Uh, what is it, accordion? I mean, it makes really good noise. It's real colorful and all that. And do you know what our granddaughter went after? The crackling paper. Or little boys, they take the toy out, throw the toy out, and they grab the box and start making a fort. Right? You know, you're, the, the, the toy, it has all kinds of butts, buttons and switches. It's a wonder of electronic wizardry. I mean, it can f- go into a car and then go into a robot or whatever. And, and then the child, they turn it on and maybe nothing happens. Does that ever happen to you at Christmas time? You flip it on and there's nothing happened. And then what, what, why? Oh, Mom and Dad, you forgot the batteries. In fact, you don't even have any batteries in the house. Now, your child is sitting there with this marvelous, wonderful toy with all kinds of potential, and it can't do anything because you lack the power to turn it on. It's so simple to put in the batteries, but you overlooked it because it's so obvious. The power for us as Christians, or that which gives us value and real worth, is attained upon the simple act of putting His power in our lives. For giving what we have, which is little, for what he has, which is abundance. Are you with me? How do we do that, Pastor? We get up in the morning, we spend time in prayer. We get into the Word. We deliberately decide, God, you're going to be at the center of my life today. And then we believe that when God's ready, he'll make a difference. See, God didn't finish with you yet. Other people might be, but God isn't. He created us to do something very special. He's designed you with a unique purpose in mind. But it is only when we lay hold of that power and we begin to wait patiently for His guidance that we realize our full potential. Let me close with this. Some of the greatest heroes of Scripture that you will read about 
were flawed. Some of Jesus' ancestors were adulterers. One was a harlot. Jacob was a liar. Miriam was a bigot and a a gossip. Remember Moses' big sister? Even though she saved him, she pretty much began to go, hey, I can do what you're doing. Dude, you're 12 years younger than me. I'm your sis. I can be your big sis, so back off. I can do what you do. And what happened to her? Bam, immediate leprosy. Moses hits the deck and begins to pray. And you know what? Because of that, it stopped the whole children of Israel in their tracks. And they couldn't move until God healed her. Moses stuttered. King David had an affair. King David killed a man, had a man killed. The prophet Amos was an unskilled laborer. Elijah suffered from depression to the point where he said, God, take my life. Elijah was so depressed, he wanted to die. And if there's anybody who's ever felt that way, God's got people that he still used mightily. Naomi was a widow. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Thomas was a doubter. Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus was dead. If our God can do great things with men and women like that, what do you think he could do with you? Especially since you became a Christian, you became God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. He prepared him in advance because he also prepared all the days that you're going to live before they were ever given to you. So make the most of it. God's given you a great gift in life. That if you'll live it the way he intends you to live it, he'll even give you greater gifts and the potential that your life can have to bring others to heaven with you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Thank you for your ear. Thank you for those watching on being with us online. Please bow with us today. We honor you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness. We know you're a God of your word. We know that you know what we think, what we feel, where we are, and where we're going. We pray, Lord, we would trust you with every part of our life, the things that we're fairly confident of and those we have absolutely no idea about. And as we go our way, Lord, let us keep Christmas and the meaning of it in the forefront, loving you loving others, and living it out. And all the people of God in agreement said amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.